Hey, good morning, Riverview. Uh, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Um, Acts chapter 2, we'll start in verse 22. Um, this morning, we're getting ready to finish up our To the Ends of the Earth uh, series. Uh, we've been focusing in on missions um, throughout this month, not because we believe that missions is con- uh, 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 capsulated in a month, but we just wanted to spend a month talking about it to say that this is important uh, to us. And uh, so this morning, we're going to uh, close it out, but I'm excited um, for what God has for us and what God has for our community and what we talk about uh, this morning. Uh, and so, but I'm also excited about what happened last night. Right? Like we had a, a fantastic night. I had no idea we had 600 million people here, um, but praise God, you know, he's able to multiply like that. Um, and so that was uh, uh, amazing to see um, just the stuff that God was doing and just people coming and hanging out. And, 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 you know, it's one thing to have food and it's one thing to have music. Um, but what I loved seeing last night was just looking across a field and looking in a building and looking at tables and there were people who were having conversations with other people. And it wasn't just, you know, conversations, but these were people who were investing in the lives of others. And maybe Jesus came up, maybe he didn't, but you could see Jesus everywhere that we looked because he was here, because you were carrying him in your life, he's present in your life. And so the conversations that were happening were just so, uh, they were like medicine to my soul last night. I didn't know I needed medicine for my soul last night, but it's just really cool. Um, God used it as an encouragement for, uh, for me. Um, so just thankful for what he did. And uh, honestly, I'm pretty zapped uh, from last night. And so we just need the Holy Spirit to do some work uh, this morning. And so we're just praying that he's going to do that. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thanks so much for uh, this time that we have together. Lord, we're going to open up your word. We're going to hear from you. I'm going to spend uh, some time just talking about uh, some things that may be evident to us and maybe things that, uh, that aren't. But Lord, I, I feel even in uh, concert with Tony's voice this morning, Father, that you are calling us to wake up. That you are, are leading us to a place where um, just closing our mouth isn't okay. That opening our mouth is important. That, that we're, we're beyond the days of just living around our brothers and sisters. We're beyond the days of just living uh, in our community, but you've called us to speak the truth and to speak the truth in love, to open up our mouths and to share the truth of the gospel. And, and so, Lord, I'm going to pray this morning that you would uh, use this time to encourage us, that you would encourage us to be bold, that we would see people the way that you see people, Father, that our eyes might be opened, and, and Lord, that we would begin to see your kingdom expand, that we would see it grow in depth the, the more that we dig into your word and, and just grow together. But we would also see it expand in number. Lord, there are so many people in our community that need to know and to hear about Jesus. And so we're praying that this morning might be a, a catalyst or maybe even a catapult to that end. And so would you take this morning and use it, I pray. Lord, I am available to be used by you. Speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine... Uh, with me uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed, okay? It was evening time. Maybe it was a little bit uh, chilly outside, out in the air. Jesus is walking through the area with a few of his, his closest friends, and, and he looks at his disciples, and, and he tells every one of them that are within an earshot of his voice, he said, every one of you are going to fall away from me because of me tonight. Every one of you are going to run and you're going to flee because of your association with me. You are going to scatter. Jesus says, for it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock are going to be scattered. 
but when I'm raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. And God bless Peter, right? God bless Peter. Like, you know, we moved up from the south and down in the south. Maybe you spent some time there. But if you're, if you're getting ready to talk negative about somebody or kind of bust their chops a little bit, you say, God bless them. God bless their heart, right? Now, God bless Peter right now, okay? God bless his little heart because he jumps and he says, though everybody else falls away from you, I'm never going to fall away. All these other cowards, all these other chicken necks around here, they may turn their back on you, but I will never, ever turn my back. Not now, not ever. I will not deny you. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, before the, the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me. Not once, not twice, but you're going to deny me three times, Peter. And Peter says, no, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Well, Jesus goes to the garden and he goes to pray. And as he's praying there, a bunch of thugs come and they, they take Jesus away. And they, they take him and they beat him and they, they strike him. And, and in that moment, everyone scatters, right? There's, there's nobody left. The shepherd is struck and the sheep are nowhere to be found. Not even Peter. The one who said, I'll never leave you. Peter's gone. And then uh, Jesus goes through this whole ordeal at Caiaphas' house, right? The guards are smacking him in the mouth. They're mocking him. They're, they're beating him. He's being tortured right there in the midst of the neighborhood. And while all this is going down, somehow Peter has gotten close enough to, to, to Caiaphas' house where he's somewhere in the courtyard. He's warming his hands by the fire. His, his Lord is inside being tortured, and he's outside warming his hands by the fire. And there's a little neighborhood girl who comes up. Uh, who, who's a servant of Caiaphas. And, and, and she says, hey, you were with him. You, you were with Jesus. I saw you with him. He's like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> you didn't see me. That wasn't me. I don't know this man. And, and then there's a, another little neighborhood girl who runs up, and she said, no, no, I saw you. You were with him. And he says, no, I was not. I do not know this man. And then now the whole neighborhood is beginning to catch on. Everybody who's there in the crowd. And they're like, no, 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 don't try to deny this. You were certainly with him. Because there's this accent that you're kind of walking around with, and it's giving you away. You were with him. And then Peter starts to curse. He starts to curse these people out. He says, you blankety, blank, blank, blankety, blankers, I don't know this man. I have no idea who he is. I've never seen him, never been around him. Leave me alone. And then the rooster crows. What Jesus said happened. This one who said, I'll never turn my back on you, has done it now three times. How does something like this happen? How does somebody who's been so faithful, I mean, he opens up his mouth and he does some stupid things every once in a while, but how does somebody who's been walking with Jesus and seen the things that Jesus has done for three years, how does he all of a sudden, in a moment of pressure, say, you know what, I don't know this man? Let me put this in the context real quick, right? Peter's amongst his neighbors, right? To some degree, um, they, 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 these are people that he's been in somewhat close proximity to. He's from up the road uh, just a little bit, but these people know him well enough to know that he's been around Jesus. People, Peter himself, he's been around Jesus. He spent some time with Jesus. He's seen his miracles. He's seen things with his eyes that he can't explain. Even out of his own mouth, he has said, you are the Christ, you're the very son of God. This has come from his mouth. But somehow, when he's surrounded by all of his neighbors, when he's surrounded by all of these people, the desire to not be labeled as a, as a, as a crazy man, the desire to not be labeled as some kind of fanatic, 
or to, to not be labeled as a Jesus follower, and, and to the desire to not risk something of his own reputation. There was something inside of Peter in this moment that he didn't want to give up, and it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't Jesus at all. So why would Peter not stand with Jesus in this moment when all of his neighbors are around? Uh, here, here's what I think. We, we have these, uh, these building blocks that, that represent so many things in our life that are so important to us, right? Th- things that we, we add into our lives. You know, we've, we've got sports. Sports are in, important to us. Uh, um, the body, you know, keeping, keeping uh, up with our body. Uh, maybe some alone time. We, we like some alone time. Our marriage. Our marriage is important to us. And um, our, our family and our kids and, and music and school and uh, having fun and having a house and food, having hobbies. There, there's so many things that we build our life on and we say, man, these are so important, it's so important to us that we're willing to add them into our lives. But can I suggest to you that what's on the bottom of this stack is what matters the most? Because it, it, if the foundational blocks can't support what's above, then the whole thing is going to come crashing down, right? If the foundation of the blocks that we're building our life on can't stand and can't stand the weight of what we're putting into our life, the entire tower is going to come tumbling down. But if we have the right blocks as the foundation, if we have the right pieces to build our life on, then everything else that we begin to stack on to our life has the ability to have the security to say, you know what, I don't have to worry about the bottom falling out. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't have to worry about like, if, if what I'm building my life on is, has the ability to be sustained or not. But here's the problem. Life happens. <laughs> Life gets in the way. Things get busy. Stress kicks in. Pressure kicks up. And so we end up uh, moving things around in our life. You know, sports maybe at some point in our life, you know, it's important, but things get a little bit busy. And so we say, you know what, that, that's, that's really not that important to me. My, my team is okay, but um, family has, you know, it's been a part of my life. And I love my family, but work is really important to me right now. And I want to make sure that I have enough finances to, to feed everybody. And so um, family kind of takes a, a little uh, side. Uh, food has been really important to me, but you know what? Um, I really don't think I need it anymore. Uh, my body, my image is just like, it's, it's my thing right now. And, uh, and food is getting in the way, so I'm just not going to eat anymore. And so we move that out of the way. And um, fun, you know, life used to be fun, but I've got too many kids and, you know, I can't have fun anymore. And so that can't be there anymore. And, you know, we have uh, Jesus. Jesus has been a block on our life too at, at some point. But, you know, Jesus is just really, I, I don't have time for him anymore because there's so many things that I'm building in around my life, but, but I, I don't have time. Like, he's just not my thing anymore. And so well, I'll just take him off the stack. And what ends up happening is after a while, something comes in, whether it's big or something minimal, but the foundation doesn't really have much to stand on anymore. And so our whole lives come crashing down. Like there's nothing left. Because the foundation that we've been building upon isn't strong enough to hold the things that we've been putting into our lives. And so I want to suggest to you that there are some fundamental blocks that we need to build our life upon that have the ability to hold the things, if they're worthy in our life, that have the ability to hold the things in our life and, and, and not to come crashing down. So it would make a whole lot of sense to us that the foundation that we build our life upon 
would be able to hold everything that we've put on it. And so I want to suggest that the, the block that we begin to build our life on is Jesus, right? You all saw that coming. That's nothing new. But I want to suggest that the, the block that we build our life on is, is Jesus. See, we're living in a day and a time. We're living in a space where we're willing to build our lives on all kinds of things, right? We're willing to build on all kinds of stuff and say, this is important to me. And, and it's so important to me that I'm just going to keep adding. I'm going to keep adding. I'm going to keep adding. And at some point, we've got to understand, if that foundation won't hold, it's going to give. And so I want to suggest that Jesus is the block that we build on because we don't often build everything on him. But Scripture tells us so often that Jesus is the cornerstone. That Jesus is the capstone. He's the one that holds all things together. That if he's the cornerstone, he can be the cornerstone of our life. He can be the cornerstone of our faith. He can be the thing that holds everything together because scripture tells us that in him all things are created. And you know the rest of this, right? In him all things hold together. And if in him all things hold together, it makes sense that we would build our lives on him and not on anything else. And so he becomes the cornerstone. He becomes the capstone. He becomes the foundation for what we build our lives on. And so Peter, in this moment, here's what's going on with Peter. He gets knocked over, right? The whole house comes crashing down and tumbling down around him because although Jesus was important to Peter, he was on the stack of blocks of his life of the things that he said, these are important to me. But he wasn't yet the foundation. He wasn't yet the cornerstone of his life, his reputation, Maybe even his physical life, what the neighborhood thought about him, what his neighbors thought about him, those were the things that were most important to him. Those were the things that became the foundation for him. And so when the stress rose and when the pressure was on to stand with Jesus, he began to reorient the blocks. And the foundation that he created for himself wasn't strong enough to hold everything that he was building on top. And the whole thing comes crashing down. But I want you to know that this isn't the end of Peter's story, right? This isn't where his, this isn't where his story ends. This is actually one of the, the turning moments in his life where actually his usefulness begins to kick in. And I want you to know that if you somehow identify with Peter, and I think to some level all of us are able to identify with Peter. And so if your story identifies with Peter, I want you to know that your story isn't over either. That this is the moment that you have to start rebuilding the foundation and to put the cornerstone where it's supposed to be as the very foundation of your life. Because he, here's what happens with Peter. He watches Jesus go to a cross, or kind of watches Jesus go to a cross. He's at a distance. He sees Jesus go to a cross and he sees him die. And he, and, he, and he sees that Jesus has been resurrected after he's been buried and put into a tomb because he goes and he sees that the tomb is empty after Mary comes back and says, hey, this thing's empty, come take a look. And he sees that the tomb is empty. And, and then he knows that Jesus spent time after the resurrection. So he, he didn't just die, but he came back. And when he came back, he spent time with his people. And so he spent time with a resurrected man. And because of that, now he's absolutely convinced that there is nothing else that I need to build my life on. There is nothing else that is, is worthy for me to spend my time on, to put my time around, and to build the foundation of my life on than this man, Jesus, who was living and who died and is no longer dead. And if he's able to do that, it would make no sense for me to build my life on anything else. So he's got to be the cornerstone of my life. And so before, he, he was just a part of his life. But now, he knows this is more important than anything that I could have ever imagined. And he knows that it's Jesus. This block makes all the difference. And so now he's looking around and he's seeing his, his friends and he's, 
seen his brothers and he's seen his sisters and he's seen his neighbors. He's seen the people that he's called to love because he remembers what Jesus said. There was a commandment that Jesus gave. You remember what the greatest commandment was. Jesus said, love God. But he said, there's another one that's just like it. I just love God, but love God enough that it causes you to love your neighbors as yourself. There is a great commandment, love God, but there's another one that's just like it, love your neighbors. Love God enough that causes you to love your neighbors, and he knows this. And so now when he's walking around his community, and he's seeing the people that he, that he interacts with on a regular basis, the, the, the people that he goes to the races with, and he, he waves across the stadium, the, the people that he's interchanging money with at the bank, the, the people that he's rubbing shoulder with running down the street, he's seeing them with different eyes that he's never seen them before. And now he's realizing that their lives are different without Jesus. He reali- he's realizing, like, man, it's futile. It's meaningless. They're chasing after things that are supposed to add value, but at the end of the day, they just don't. They don't hold water. They're pretending that everything's okay in their life when everything on the inside is just crashing. Everything's falling apart. Or, or, or even worse yet, they're, they're not pretending that everything's okay. They believe that everything is okay without Jesus in their lives. And he remembers, love God and love my neighbor. And so, oh my Lord, I've got to tell him. I've got to tell him about Jesus. And so Peter steps up and he says, wake up. Your blocks are crashing down all around you. They're not oriented in the right place. Your foundation is going to give out and it's all going to fall. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to uh, grab your uh, pencil or a pen. Um, you were given a worship folder when you came in. Um, hopefully you have something that you can write on. And if, if you carry your phone and that's where you kind of take notes, go ahead and grab it. I want you to remember this. But if you have your Bible, I want your Bible in your hands. Because I want to ask you to write some things down this morning, okay? And, and, and what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to give you um, three fa- foundational truth blocks about Jesus and things that we need to tell our neighbors, Things that we need to tell the people that live around us. Things that they need to hear. Things that we need to hear. And, and so I'm going to give them to you all up front. But here's the thing. If I give them to you all up front, you have to promise to listen. All right? For the rest of our, for the rest of our time. Because if, if you don't listen, you're not go- they're not going to make any sense to you. So you're going to write them down in just a second. But I want you to make sure that you stick with me. Everybody promise? You with me? Okay. Okay. Again, if I give them to you and you write them down, and you don't pay attention. They're not going to make sense, so you, you have to pay attention. All right, so let, let's see if they do make sense. So here, here's the three. Go ahead and throw them up there. Thank you for waiting back there, too. Um, the three foundational truth blocks are uh, the person of Jesus, the penalty of Jesus, and the position of Jesus. I just want you to write those down right now, and, and they'll begin to make sense as we go on. If, if I've done my job right, I think they'll make sense anyway. If not, then come back next week. Uh, and we'll get it straightened out. <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, it's Pentecost right now, right? That's the context in which uh, um, Peter is having this conversation. The Holy Spirit, he showed up in this uh, miraculous way, and he stands up and he tells his neighbors, he's like, I've got to tell them. I, I can't keep silent any longer. And listen to what, what he says in verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Okay, so I, I want you to do something real quick. Peter, he's standing in Jerusalem, right? This is the neighborhood um, that's close to him. In the context that we've been in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem is his neighborhood. It's, it's kind of right in his, uh, it's right, right in his uh, backyard. This is his hood. And, and so what I want you to do, as Peter is talking to his neighborhood, I want you to think about the neighborhood that you live in, whether it's Ashland or, or Wahoo or, 
or Greenwood or Springfield or Louisville. I, I want you, Soresco, yeah, we've got the, oh, red. yeah, and so I want you to think about your neighborhood. I want you to think about the people who live on your street. I want you to picture their faces in your minds because Peter is talking to people that he knows. He's talking to people that he's seen in the marketplace. So I want you to think about your place. And, and, and just for reference for us, um, who, who, who call Ashland home, who this is kind of our neighborhood, um, I, I want to give us a couple numbers here. In Ashland, according to wherever you draw the lines, it's different. And it, these numbers are, you know, 10 years old because the census is old. But Ashland is somewhere between 25 to, to 2,800 people, right? Give or take. You know, if you draw the lines a little bit further where the places that aren't annexed and things where the busing and no busing and all that kind of stuff, it depends. But somewhere in the realm of 25 to, to 2,800 people, those are the people that would call Ashland home. Now, the most recent Pew report that was for all of Nebraska, uh, the, the, the most recent, it said that 60% of Nebraskans say that they have a solid belief in God, okay? 60% of people say, I, I, I firmly believe that there's a God in heaven. And now there's 20% of people who say that they think that there might be a God. And then there's another 20% of people who said, you know what, I don't even care. Like I, I'm either agnostic or I'm an atheist and I really don't care. So there are close to, cl close to half of the people who, who live in Nebraska. I know 50% or 40% isn't half, okay? So I'm rounding up. So there are at least 40% of people who live in Nebraska who say, I, I think that God might be legit or I just don't care that God is real or not, or, or, or it's just, it's not important to me in my, my life. And then in that same Pew report, there were 39% of Nebraskans who say that they go to church weekly, right? Every, you know, every week they, they say we're in a church, 39%. And 32% of those say that they go to church a few times a year. So that's probably, you know, Christmas, Easter, maybe Mother's Day, right? Mother's Day is a big one. Huh? You get your kids to church, you're like, man, we're, we're doing good. Or, or Father's Day, you know, because fathers sometimes, like, let me go to church. Somebody will say something to me, at least. And, and, and then so we, we show up, and so that's just a, a few times a year. And that's, uh, uh, and then there's 29% of people who say, you know what, I'm not even thinking about it. I don't care to, to go to church. And, and so, again, that, that's half of the Nebraska population that's not connected to or doesn't care to be connected to a place that says, you know what, we're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to tell people about God. So here's what that tells us, that people aren't coming to church to hear about Jesus, right? They're not going to hear about Jesus just because the church doors are open. What that tells us is that they need to hear Jesus through you. And so if we were to put those Nebraska numbers into our context, if Ashland and Louisville and Gretna or Soresco or Wahoo, and if all these places, if our neighborhoods reflect the averages in our state, we have neighbors that need to know Jesus. Would you agree with me? If Ashland reflects Nebraska, and I believe it does, and we have people in our state that need to know Jesus, or in our community that need to know Jesus, just think, like, if there are 2,800 people that are living in Ashland, that means, according to the numbers, there are about uh, 1,200 to 1,500 people that live in, the, in a square mile of Ashland. Ashland's not that big, right? And so there are somewhere between 12 to 1,500 people per square mile. And so that means that you may have up to 300 people or so, give or take, that are living on your street. That means that somewhere on your street, if you look next door to you or across the road from you, <clears throat> there are probably four to eight people that are living in that house next door or, or across the street that need to know that there is a foundation that is unshakable in Jesus. 
They need to know that there is somebody who cares about their life that they can build their life upon. And according to the numbers, they're not coming to church to hear about it. And so the people that live next door to you and the people that you're doing life in community with, the only way that they're going to hear about Jesus, the truth of the gospel and the foundation that they can build their life on, who's it going to be? It's through you. It's through us. And so think about your neighborhood as, as Peter talks about this. Think about the faces that live on your street. Not, 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 you know, two blocks away. Think about the people who live on your street. The faces you see every day when you're coming home from work and you're pulling in, you're tired, and you're like, hey guys, hey Jim, hey Bill, hey, hey Sophie. Like, think about those, those, those faces. These are his neighbors. Peter says, men of Israel, people of Israel, people of Ashland, people of Louisville, people of Springfield, hear these words. Jesus, why don't you just circle the word Jesus there in your, in your Bible. Peter starts here with Jesus. He opens up his mouth, and the message that he presents is Jesus, right? Jesus is his message. He opens up his mouth, and he says, Jesus. And I want you to think about this, right? You, you've taken the time in your community, in your workplace, in the booster club, with somebody on your team. You've taken the time maybe to get to know them. You've developed a relationship with them, and they come to you, and they say, hey, and my marriage is falling apart. I, I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do? You look at them and you say, Jesus, right? And a person comes to you and says, man, my life is falling apart. Like, I, I'm just struggling with everything in my life. I don't know how to get things together. And you look at them and they, they, they ask you, say, well, what am I supposed to do? You look at them and you say, Jesus. Your kids come to you and they say, tell me about salvation. You look at them and you say, Jesus. What is it about Jesus though, Right? I mean, because they're going to want, what, what, I mean, that's not an answer. Jesus isn't the answer. To, and, and so they want to know, what is it about Jesus? Help me with, with this. This is where we start. We start with Jesus, and once we have their attention, we tell them about who Jesus is. We tell them about how he intersects their life. We tell them about how he makes a difference in the thing that they're, they're going through. We tell them that he cares. So here's the, the first building block of our, of our little life here that we want to build our foundation on. It's, it's the, the person of Jesus. If you want to write that down, if you haven't already, it's the person of Jesus. But here, here's what it is about the person of Jesus, right? It's that he was a man. And not only was he a man, but he was also God at the same time. And so the first building block of, of truth is that Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man. Look, look, look at what uh, Scripture says here. It says, men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. I want you to circle the words man and I want you to circle the word attested in your, in your Bibles, if you, if you mark in your Bibles. And right beside of that, I want you to write person or person of Jesus. Circle man, circle attested and put person of Jesus right beside of that. Because Jesus was a man. He was uh, a human being. He eternally existed with God in heaven, and he took on flesh, and he came to live amongst his people. God the Father took on flesh and came to live amongst us. He, he came to live here. He wasn't a myth, right? He wasn't a fairy tale. History proves him. There is more historical proof about this man of Jesus than there are some of the, philosoph the, the philosophers that we tend to like, oh, remember Plato. Oh, remember all these guys. There is more historical work that we have to support Jesus the man than we do some of these other things that we base 
some of our facts on, okay? So Jesus came and he lived amongst us. He took on flesh and he came to save those who made created, who got stuck in this realm of sin. But Jesus, he wasn't just human, right? Peter tells his friends and he tells his neighbors all around him that, that Jesus was validated or that he was attested to by God the Father. It says that he was a man that was attested to by the miracles and the wonders that were happening all around him that he was conducting. Miracles that they had seen with their own eyes. You see, right now he's in Jerusalem. And Peter's talking to people who are in his neighborhood who have seen the miraculous work that Jesus has done. There was a moment where, where Jesus healed this man who had been paralyzed for all of his life, who had been hanging out by the pool of Bethesda, right? He's hanging out by this pool, and, and, and he's paralyzed. And, and there's this story that if, if the waters get stirred by an angel, and, and, and if somebody could put me in the water when the angel stirs up the water, I could be healed. And so Jesus says, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm sitting here and I'm waiting for the water to get stirred up. But here's what happens. Every time the water gets stirred up and I want to get in to, heal, to be healed, somebody else gets into the water before me. So I've been in this condition for so long. And Jesus said, get up. He says, get up. Get up and get out of here. And the man is healed in an instant. Right? His life has changed. And these people who are in Jerusalem saw this miracle happen. But they were also witnesses to the empty tomb. They, they, they saw that the tomb was empty. I mean, there were people who were believing that the disciples came maybe and stole Jesus out of there. But they saw that the tomb was empty. And these are people, too, that are in this crowd that may have been where Jesus was baptized. You remember when Jesus was baptized, um, John uh, baptizes Jesus. And in the moment that he's being baptized, the, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And in that moment, the sky opens up, and God the Father says, This is my Son. This is the one that I love. In Him, I am well pleased. See, Jesus was a man, but He wasn't just a man. He was a man who had been validated by God through all the miraculous things that He was doing. So He was both God and man at the same time. Validated. Um, a, a little while back, um, I, I bought a uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes football card, right? I don't know if anybody in here collects cards. I'm not really a collector, uh, but I got a couple friends in my life who are collectors, and, and I said, well, hey, let me get one of these cards, okay? And, and so I, I, I said, here's the deal. You know, I'm going to get this card. Maybe someday in life it might be worth some money. Uh, give it to Anderson, and, and, and he'll maybe, you know, be able to cash it in one day, or it'll just be a, this cool collectible card. And I said, but here's the deal. I want to make sure that this card is legit. Don't be, don't be giving me something that's phony, right? <laughs> Give me something that's real. If I'm going to pay money for it, I want like the real deal. And so I said, make sure that it's sealed. Make sure that it's been validated. Make sure that somebody has put eyes on this and said, this is the real thing and it is perfect and it's flawless. And it has a stamp of approval on it that says, I validate that this thing is legit. This is what Peter is saying here about Jesus. Jesus was both man and he was being validated by God. At the same time, it was proven that Jesus was legit. He was proving that Jesus was truly who he said he was. He wasn't just a man, but he was both God and man. And the miracles proved exactly who he was. And so if we're building on our life, we've got to build on the person of Jesus. We build on the fact that he was both God and man at the same time. And so we put this block in place and we have a bit of a foundation to begin to start our lives on. But here's uh, the thing. 
Well, let me give you the second block. Uh, the second block is the penalty of Jesus. So if you're writing things down, go ahead and write the penalty of Jesus. And we've got to tell people that he was both crucified and he was resurrected. This was the penalty of Jesus. This is what he had walked through. And so let's put that down for a minute. And so we've got a bit of a, uh, still building our foundation here. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised them up, losing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Okay, now there, there's, there's a lot here. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle the, word, the words crucified and killed in your Bible. And, and I want you to circle the word raised. And right beside those words, I want you to write the penalty of Jesus. The penalty of, of Jesus. See, Peter had said, it's always been God's plan to redeem. It's always been God's plan to redeem people through Jesus. It was always his plan to restore people back to this relationship to him where they can have union with the Father again, where they can have this real relationship with him. It was his plan from the moment that sin came into the world. Everything in history has always been pointing to Jesus. Everything. For, from the time that sin came in, everything has been pointing towards Jesus. The sacrifices, they pointed to Jesus. The animal coverings that covered Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that just miraculously showed up that God provided, they pointed to the fact that Jesus would cover sins. Later on, they pointed to Jesus. The, the law and our inability to follow the law perfectly it pointed to the fact that we needed a Savior. We needed somebody who could follow the law perfectly. It pointed to Jesus. It pointed to our need for Him. It all points to Him. But it doesn't mean that they got off the hook. It doesn't mean that we get off the hook either. Right now, Peter, he's, he's putting his finger in their face. And he's saying, you did this. You, you did this. By the hands of lawless men, he was crucified on a cross that he didn't belong on, but he did this for you so that we wouldn't have to. But, but, but make no mistake about it. He says, it's your sin. It's because of your sin. It's because of my sin. It's because of our sin, he says. Now, you've got to imagine there's some murmuring going on in the crowd right now, right? Hey, wait, wait a minute. I, I didn't do that. I didn't put Jesus on the cross. I didn't kill him. That was the Romans. The Romans did that. That wasn't me. And, and I don't know if you've ever been into a conversation with somebody, you're telling them about Jesus, and you're sharing the truth of the gospel with them, and, 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 you're, and you're trying to get them to see their need for a Savior. And you're telling them about sin, and they look at you like, dude, I wasn't even alive when Jesus was crucified. I wasn't even around when, 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 when sin came into the world. So how can I be held liable for what happened so long ago? I don't need a Savior. I'm not sinful. Peter says, no, 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 no. It was sin. Not just your individual sin, but sin of all time that took him there. It was their sin. It was his sin. It was her sin. It was our sin that put him there. And so he tells his neighbors that Jesus died for sin. And it was our sin that took him there. This was the penalty of Jesus. Here's, here's the thing. Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? Three days later, he, he comes back. He, he raises from the dead. And I love this picture in verse 24. Uh, check this out. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You know what's going on here? Like, this is the picture of childbirth, ladies. This is like, once that labor train has started, there's no stopping that train, is there? Like, once the water's broken and, like, you're in labor, like, there is no stopping. That baby is coming. 
No matter what you try to do, it's going to happen. The baby's coming. It's inevitable. Once labor starts, the baby's coming out. It's going to happen. And it was inevitable what Peter is saying here is that Jesus was going to raise from the grave. The grave could not hold him. He was coming back because the Father had already decided that this is going to happen. He's coming back because God the Father said it's going to happen, and the grave couldn't hold him back. And so he went to the cross to pay for sin, but he was resurrected to prove that he was able to bring salvation. It wasn't just death. Like he proved that he was capable to come back from death, that he could fully deal with it. And in his death and in his resurrected life, he says, I can give you life. I am worthy for you to build your life upon. And so Peter says, don't just take my word for it. You hold David as a high patriarch. You hold David as one of your own. Listen to what David says about this. Verse 25, for David says <clears throat> concerning him, I say, or I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. We're going to cover a lot of verses here, and, and, and it will make sense in just a second. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to, to Hades. And Hades was a place, it was kind of the realm of, of the dead. He says, you're not, gonna, um, you're not gonna send my soul there or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. He says, brothers, I, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. It's almost like uh, Peter is standing there in Jerusalem. and saying, look, David's tomb is right over there. Like, look, like he died. So he can't possibly be talking about himself in this, that he thought that he was going to live forever. He can't possibly, like he's dead. He's over here. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. See, David got to see a little bit about the resurrection. He got a glimpse of it before it ever even happened. This is what he's writing about, that he was not abandoned to, to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and are hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter's saying David predicted this a long time ago. He predicted that there would be a Savior who would come, who would die, and who would be resurrected. And he can't possibly be talking about himself because he was human. His, his life would come to an end. But God gave David a glimpse of the resurrection so that he might pin it down, so that we might know that this has always been a part of God's plan. The resurrection was always a part of it. And oh, by the way, he says that we are all witnesses to it. He says, this isn't new. Like, you, you saw this. You, you saw when he was resurrected. You saw that he was still living amongst us before he ascended to the Father. And right now, he's seated right next to the Father. He's seated by the right hand of the Father. Right now, even in this, as we speak right now, and as he spoke right then, he's saying that Jesus is seated right next to the Father. But he sent his Spirit. Remember, it's Pentecost. This is the context in which he's writing it. The, the Spirit has been poured out in an amazing way. And he's saying, he has sent his Spirit now to be with us. And, and so Peter's saying, tell your neighbors. 
Tell them about the penalty of sin. Tell them that, that Jesus came and he died for, for sin, right? That he was crucified on the cross. But not only was he crucified, but he was also raised from the dead. And right now in this moment, he's seated right next to the Father. And in this time, he has sent his spirit so that we wouldn't be alone, but that he would be a part of our lives so that he can live in us and live through us through his spirit. He is not divorced from our life, but he is an active part of it through his spirit. He said, you tell him about that. And so he puts that down as a foundation for us to, to build our lives upon. Here's a last block here. Third building block of truth is this position, the position of Jesus. Go ahead and write that down if you haven't already written. It's the position of Jesus. And he says, tell people that Jesus is both Lord and the Christ. And the word Christ is uh, the Messiah. It's the one that was the anointed one, the one that all of Israel had been waiting on. He was the one that would bring hope. He was the one who would bring healing. He was the one who would bring peace for all time. He says, you tell people that he is Lord and Messiah. Let all the, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Go ahead and circle Lord and Christ in your Bibles. And right beside that, write the position of Jesus. This is who he is. See, see, all of Jerusalem in this moment, all of Israel, all of history had believed that God was one. Rightly so. That God was one and there was another, no other like him. God was one. And so for Peter to say that Jesus is Lord, he's saying again, that Jesus is God. Not, not that he's another God, but he's saying that he is God, that he and the Father are one. And so he's saying this, this is true, and you can hold on to the fact that Jesus is Lord, but not only is he Lord, but he's the one that we've been waiting on as well, and he is worthy for us to build our lives on. And so he says, tell people about the person of Jesus. Tell people about the penalty of Jesus. Tell people that he is a man, Tell people that he was a human and, and that he lived. And not only was he human, but he was God. He was God in the flesh. And tell them that he came and he died for sin. That, that this is the penalty that he carried along with him. But he didn't just die, but he, had, he raised from the dead and he seated at the right hand of the Father so that they might have life and so that the Spirit might live in and through them. And at the same time, now you tell him about his position. You tell him that he is Lord and that he is Messiah. You know what he says? He says, tell him, Jesus. He says, tell him, Jesus. He's the foundation. I mean, he is the building block. He is the cornerstone of your life. It says you tell him about Jesus and nothing else matters on, if that's not in its place. It says you tell him about Jesus. This is the foundation that's worthy to build your life. And listen to what happens when Peter says, Jesus, it's Jesus. So if you build your life on anything else, it's going to fall. The tower is going to fall. Look at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That means that there was deep pain. They were distressed. They were emotionally distraught. They were beginning to believe what Peter had to say. And, and, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What, what do we do now? They realized that their tower was falling down and that they needed a new foundation. They said, what do we do? See, they never understood that Jesus was more than a man. They never understood that, that Jesus had paid the penalty for their sin. They never knew that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father and that he was both Lord and Messiah. They never knew that he was their Savior. But now they do. Now they know. 
because somebody was willing to stand up and risk being the fool. Somebody was willing to stand up and risk being the one who would be mocked and who would be jeered. Somebody was willing to stand up and say, you know what, my life was falling apart. My life was collapsing. I was building on, on things that would not hold the weight of everything else I was stacking on. And, and so I realigned my life and I put Jesus at the corner of my life. There was somebody who was willing to say that and he says, hey, that's what you need too. It's not just me, it's what you need too. He said, it's Jesus. He came in and he fixed this. Because these are the foundational truths. The person of Jesus. The penalty of Jesus. The position of Jesus. It's Jesus. And we tell people about Jesus, it changes things. When we tell people about Jesus, they have the opportunity to respond. When the numbers tell us that they're not coming here, <laughs> people don't come here to first hear about Jesus. And if that's true, they need to hear it from you. They'll listen to you if you open up your mouth and share the truth. Will you get mocked sometimes? Absolutely. Will you get jeered sometimes? Absolutely. Will you get shut down sometimes? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, if we really believe that Jesus is the cornerstone and that he's the one that we're to build our life on, then none of that matters. <laughs> none of that matters. And so people get the opportunity to say, then what do I do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He says, this is for you. This is for your neighbor. This is for your block. This is for your community, the people that you live with on a regular basis. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter opened up his mouth. He risked being the fool when 3,000 people in his neighborhood came to know who Jesus was. Some of you are in this room right now because somebody looked down their street, they looked across the street, and they said, you know what, my neighbor needs to know Jesus. Some of you are sitting here right now because somebody's told you, man, my life was falling apart. Jesus came in and he rebuilt my foundation. And you need that too. And you believed. And Jesus has began changing your life. Some of you are here right now because somebody drove past your house and they said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a friendship with them. Not, not, not to, you know, to fake them out, to like the, to, to Jesus juke them or something like that, but to actually build into your life and to tell you about Jesus so that your life might be changed. Some of you are sitting here right now who have given your life to Jesus because somebody opened their mouth and some of you are sitting here right now, you're waiting for somebody to open up your mouth and to tell you about Jesus. You've got friends all around you like, man, I want to know. Tell me about this. And for whatever reason, you somehow wound up in a church and now you're hearing it maybe for the first time. And here you are. Build your life on Jesus. And it's, that's what matters most. So I, I want you, I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes um, real quick. And here, here's what I want to do. Um, I, I want you right now in, the, in this moment, I want you to think about the people who are on your street. I want you to think about the person who lives next door to you. I want you to think about the person who lives across the street from you. What's their name? What's their face? 
Do you know him? Have you spoke to him? If you haven't yet spoke to him, why haven't you spoken to him? Who's the person that you're, that you're walking past every single day in your office space? Who, who's, who's the person in your family that is just dying to hear you speak up, but you're afraid that, that you might get mocked or you might get jeered? Who's that person? I want you to think about their face. In, in just a few minutes, I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to write it down. Gonna, if you've got paper in front of you, I want you to ask you to write it down. And what I want you to do is, is next week, I want you to bring it back here, right? So that means you come back next week. But I want you to, to bring that piece of paper back or that note that you've typed into your phone. I want you to bring it back. Okay, but throughout this week, I want you to begin to pray for that person because I know it's hard, man. It's hard, like maybe you don't have a relationship with them and, and you think, good night. Like, I, I'm afraid, like, they're going to think I'm a weirdo. Yeah, maybe. They're going to think I'm a fanatical. Yeah, maybe. Or they might just think that you have the answer and you've been holding out on them. So I want you to begin to pray for that person this week. And I want you to pray that you would have boldness and courage to have a conversation with them. Not just to start telling them about Jesus, but to start having a conversation with them and that the Lord would turn that conversation in such a way that you might have the opportunity and the right to share Jesus with them. Go ahead and open up your eyes. If you thought about somebody, just go ahead and write it down. Just go ahead and write it down and I want you to bring that back next week and um, next week, we're going to talk even more specifically. What do we do now? Like, now that we know the building blocks, how do we share that with the person who's next door to us? But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your life. Thanks for the work that you've done <clears throat> on the cross for us. Father, thank you that you're willing to risk everything for us, that we might know you. I want to pray that you would give us the second portion of Peter's life. <laughs> that you would allow us to look back and say, you know what, my, my house of cards came falling down or it's about to tumble. My foundation is weak. But I want to wake up and I want to build my foundation on Jesus. I want him to be the cornerstone of my life. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would give us the second half of Peter's life in our life. Father, that we would be so bold that we would see our neighbors and that we would love our neighbors enough to share the truth of the gospel with them, even if they say no, so that they hear the truth and you might circle around in your grace and your mercy and bring them to, to life at some point. God, give us boldness to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.